Hello, my name's Gary. And my name's Simon. And this is episode four of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we'll be talking about the mainstream media and how they tend to portray electric vehicles in a negative light. But before we start, Simon, I believe you've got a little rant about something. (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed. Just want to talk about charging for a moment. So um, during a a trip to Norfolk, one of uh, my my recent holiday, I had an interesting experience uh, in a uh, what should have been a easy contactless payment charging ultra charge or fast charging. And uh, really, the big, the biggest problem for me was this company, and I won't name the company because that's 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 not probably fair. But this particular company, whilst their experience in terms of using the device was good to a point, there was there was two issues. One main thing is that uh, when you you swipe your contactless card, uh, and again, it's contactless payment, so you know all the things that we we really want it to be. I couldn't get the uh, the CCS charging cable out of the the locking handle. So as soon as you scan it and you press OK, the handle's meant to come away, and you're meant to pick up the charger, plug it in, and away you go. That was the first problem. Second problem was that it flashed up when it says it says right, you know, we're now charging. You will have a holding fee of twenty nine pounds. Twenty nine pounds. 29 pounds and i was like are you serious 29 pounds and because i had an issue on the first one i had to scan my card again i got charged two lots of 29 pound so for a charge which eventually cost me three pounds 37 to charge my car which was very reasonable it cost me 58 pounds in holding fees whilst it processed and worked out how much I'd actually used. I subsequently put this out on Twitter um, because I was I was rather annoyed, to say the least. And my, my biggest gripe with this is that, not that they have a holding charge itself, but the maximum that they should be going is 5 to £10. Pounds. £10, pounds I think, is probably reasonable with, you know, if, if they're charging 30p a kilowatt, it could be that it goes over £5, you could have six seven pounds worth. So £10 pounds is probably quite reasonable. My biggest problem with this, and and this got challenged to me on uh, on a, a recent uh, Twitter feed, was, well, of course they're going to charge you that. They're going to hold that there, so you ensure you can pay. I said I've got no problem with that at all. What I have got a problem with is the amount. So, if I was using this particular company to do a long distance journey, two or three charges up the country, they would be charging me twenty nine pounds each time, and possibly twenty nine pounds each time on the way back for the privilege of using their chargers. And that could run up to a couple of hundred pounds if you're going to do a long distance there and back. I subsequently complained if they got in touch with me via Twitter um, and then directly to me after I explained what happened and, and told them. They said, oh, uh, this is something that uh, because these are new, we're looking into what the best experience for, for the customers are. And I said, well, it's quite easy. Your charging facility is really good. Your contactless payment is really good. Your holding charge is ridiculous. With that, they withdrew the first £29 very quickly within 24 hours. And that's why I would hope that that would happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there in that the other £29 held on my account for five days. Five days. So if you can imagine you're doing a long journey or even a, a short journey with a couple of those chargers, you could potentially be down £58 out of your account or at least not being available in your account for five days to me is completely unacceptable for that amount of money absolutely if that was 10 pound a charge then you know if you use it three times in one day 30 pounds it's doable but yeah a completely 
unacceptable and exactly what I, I told them. Uh, they've they've assured me, and I don't know whether this marketing spill or not, but um, uh, they say that this is going to be looked at and dealt with in the next couple of weeks, and and revised costs uh, will be applied. So I can only imagine that I'm not the first person to complain about this. Indeed, you know, I I I, I rented on a YouTube channel uh, a YouTube uh, video that I'd done about it as well. Yeah, it it was it was completely ridiculous. And you know, if you mention like things like ecotricity, at least even though the surface isn't particularly great. They only charge £12, and they generally come off quite quickly. I was down £58 for a good part of the week. Okay, it's not a huge amount of money, but actually, you know, it could end up being a huge amount of money if you if you do multiple charges of the same company. Okay, good. Good. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that. Do you feel better for having that little rant? I, I, I do. My, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, I'm, I'm completely calm about it now. Because I've got my money back now. <laughs> Our feature topic today is mainstream media and how they cover electric vehicles. I think you'll agree with me that it's a sad fact that ever since the growth of EVs has become apparent to the media, there have been articles published which seek to either rubbish the concept, point out the flaws, or generally just make fun of EVs. There is this stigma of, they're just golf carts, and it it still seems to be front and centre in the minds of many members of the general public. Now, obviously... It's an education issue. But I want to take today to discuss how we got to where we are and what we can do to change this moving forward. Now, I don't know what you think, but for me, I think it all started with the infamous Top Gear episode where Clarkson, Hammond and May attempted a journey from London up north in three electric cars. Now, this was eight years ago. And of course, Clarkson's 24 kilowatt hour leaf ran out of electricity at a junction in the middle of a town, they ended up pushing it to a, a local school or university, I forget which one it was exactly, and running extension cables all over the place to get power. And then they, I think they ended up wandering around the local town, checking out all the sites. I think they did some etchings on, um, oh, on yeah, gravestones yeah. or something like that. <laughs> oh, God. From then on, EVs have been something of a pariah to mainstream media and Top Gear in particular, because since then they've done similar things to Tesla, resulting in a lawsuit between Elon Musk's company and the Top Gear production uh, crew. Now, obviously, the Top Gear episode was designed to show the shortcomings of EVs, and it has to be said that at that point, the charging infrastructure was very much in its infancy, and they didn't have to try too hard. The problem is that that perception still exists for a lot of people. The knowledge that the infrastructure has improved, charging speeds have improved, range has improved, this all seems to have passed many people by. In fact, if you read the comments on any post about electric cars in the mainstream media, you'll still get the tidal tropes that we discussed in the EV Myths podcast that we did a few weeks back. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are other examples of, uh, of mainstream media articles that have portrayed EVs in a negative light. A one uh, key one recently, the Daily Mail lent a uh, Renault Zoe to one of their uh, journalists, shall we say, <laughs> uh, for a weekend. And naturally, there were issues. The, the the headlines that they instantly chucked up on on their dirty pages, which was electric cars are shockingly bad. Don't ask for for the link to the Daily Mail. Just don't bother looking. We're not going to put links uh, links to that. Um, you can search search for that and look for yourself. But the journalist just clearly wasn't prepared, didn't charge the car, didn't have the right apps. It was set up to fail. I wouldn't mind betting as well that she wasn't even a motoring journalist. She was probably someone who was involved in a different part of the uh, the organisation. Probably doesn't even drive a car. <laughs> 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you may think that I couldn't possibly come up. Let's just say she was probably from the lifestyle section, shall we? Yeah, there we go. Lifestyle section. Very politically correct. <laughs> um, you know, living with an Evie didn't go well. A an, Another journalist, uh, again, a YouTube journalist, apparently, who borrowed an e-tron, an Audi e-tron, for a week and didn't charge it correctly, didn't even plug it overnight, didn't didn't check local chargers, and, and then complained that the infrastructure isn't ready. But to be fair, he did get a lot of flack for... Um, for this uh, on the comment section so you know that's not the only one i mean well obviously we've got quite a few here that um that basically you know just scream uh, scream issues or scream not being prepared or not doing your homework on things and, you know there was also a 2017 article about uh, the electric grid um, not being robust enough to cope with evs despite the national grid themselves saying otherwise the article misquotes someone and, and blows the uh, blows up the problem to make a point which you know obviously journalists do um, even this week, there was an article uh, in The Guardian with the heading Electric Vehicle Drivers at Risk Charging from Home Main Supply. Oh, yes, I remember which, reading this one, yeah. Which, which was hilarious. I'd done several sort of tweets to various people to find out exactly some of the some of the detail behind. But again, the underlying article didn't match, uh, didn't match really what was said in the headline. But it did quote some spurious um, statistics about... 73.1% of EV or PHEV or FEV owners admitting to charging using a extension cord outside. Now, when you look at the actual detail underneath this statistic, it appears that 73.1% of people who responded had done this either once or all the time. And I think the key thing there is once or all the time. <laughs> Indeed, or very much or all the time, yeah. In other words, if if you've taken your EV to the Lake District, for instance, and run an extension cord out the window to charge it, you're part of that 73.1%. This is very misleading, for the very least. Absolutely. Lies down lies and statistics. The last type of article that comes out is the one that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, highlighting the erroneous fact that EVs are less environmentally friendly than internal combustion engine vehicles. This came from a study carried out by the University of Cologne, and it showed that in Germany, battery production and recharging have higher CO2 levels because Germany uses coal. Simon, why is this wrong? Well, um, because the article only looks at tailpipe emissions for ICE vehicles, which seems to be the norm uh, for, for many companies, but it compares the manufacturing and electric productions for, for EVs. So if they took this into account, the energy used to create petrol or diesel and included that in the calculation, the figures would be would be very, very different. It's something that I've heard time and time again when people can compare them. You know, it is very much apples and oranges rather than... Uh, you know, like for like. Now is the time when I roll out my only German joke, which is uh, when I was working over there and chatting with a German guy and I said, you know, you're looking at this and I'm looking at that. We're not comparing like with like. It's apples and oranges. And he looked at me and he went, ah, fruit salad. <laughs> so Brilliant. why did the newspapers and other media do this? Well, the main reason is because it's obviously a trigger topic for a lot of people and it gets clicks or sells newspapers. If you've ever read one of these articles online and then scroll down the long, long list of comments that are attached to them, you'll find that they're generally read by people who are using them to show up their confirmation bias. In other words, I don't like electric cars, so I agree with this article because it says electric cars are bad. And that seems to be the way things go. Yeah, and God forbid if you ever attempt to engage with any of these people to let them know they're wrong. Indeed, and we may even do a full podcast episode about dealing with social media and zealotry when it comes to EVs. But that's a topic for the future. 
The other reason these articles are printed is because it promotes a narrative a lot of these channels want to perpetuate. At the moment, mainstream media know that if they write or post anything related to EVs, they'll get lots of interaction. Some of it will be from people wishing to defend them, but most of it will be from people wanting to push the tired tropes further. They're no cleaner than ice vehicles. I won't change until I can do 500 miles and fill up in two minutes. You can't drive them in the rain. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I mean, anyone reading the comments on any of these posts or articles will be aware of the repeated comments that come, mainly from ignorance. Indeed. And there's no incentive to educate readers or viewers from the mainstream media. This itself becomes the narrative they wish to promote. You see it even when articles are published that come straight from the government. Recently, the government declared a climate emergency and they have in the past mandated that all new cars sold after 2040 will be electric or hybrid. But still, there are publications that refuse to accept this and support it. And there are those that say that the issue is the influence of big oil. Naturally, it's in the best interest of companies such as BP, Shell, Texaco, Exxon and Marathon to perpetuate the usage of fossil fuels. It's their bread and butter. Now, I'm not sure there's a concerted effort by these companies to influence the mainstream media and I could be wrong, but I'm not seeing it. Besides, BP and Shell have already made a move into car charging with the purchase of Chargemaster and the installation of chargers on some Shell forecourts, respectively. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I'm still, even with BP and Shell, I'm still sceptical. Um, you know, I know it's very early days for them. They came in, they bought two well-established companies, Polar and uh, New Motion. And in Shell, they put in, or started putting in a very small number of their own chargers. But let's not forget, these people are oil companies first. These new fuels and EV and electrical kind of type-based services next. They're still getting a ridiculous amount of money from both governments in terms of incentives, as well as selling the oil itself. Not to mention all the all the various streams of manufacturing and everything that comes with that and making money out of that. But I, I did do um, some kind of digging into uh, things you know there's things that uh, one particular one that stuck out uh, for me in the times recently and it was about marathon petroleum so this is the us's largest refiner has devoted much effort and money and this is a quote has devoted much effort and money to ensure that standards get rolled back that's a key component of this standards getting rolled back um, along with its allies oil industry trade groups and a network of conservative think tanks financed by billionaire bogeyman charles g coke marathon argues that the u.s now has so much oil that it actually no longer needs to worry about energy conservation yeah i i read that and i was i was quite taken back and it's like so there's so much oil and so much dirty fossil fuels that they produce they don't actually have to worry about it you know it's not a problem apparently so if you've not got to worry about it you can sell as much as that as you like and why would you ever want electrical kind of cars or ev to um to actually take off it goes on to say um, this and the fact that oil is a huge business to the u.s and other countries especially those that supply this has been backed by trump renaming oil to a more cleaner sounding version molecules of u.s freedom when i heard that i almost wanted to throw up because you know it's like why whilst he knows he's backing oil companies and giving them money gives giving them incentives they've started funding covert facebook um, campaigns um, urging people to write their representative to support rollbacks of cleaner fuel legislation and the, the fact that they're trying to rename these fossil fuels to make them sound cleaner even though they're clearly not means that they're trying to disrupt 
and influence the people that take oil for granted. So you you know if you if you're probably born and bred in certain parts of the country and certain parts of the world, you've always had a petrol car. You may not even know what an EV is. And if somebody goes, do you know what? This is the best thing ever. These are these are now clean energy. You're going to buy it. And that if you're going to buy it, then mainstream going to buy it. They influence those sort of people, which then influence the lawmakers the lawmakers that actually then put money back into big oil which then fund governments and various other things um it's it's quite worrying that whilst there's steps for these companies like bp and shell and i i I generally hope they're doing it all for the right reason it does seem like they are it smacks a little bit of big tobacco back in the day funding surveys and and research to propagate the myth that tobacco is good for you and smoking is good for you and we all know how that turned out didn't we yeah till they started to have to put like uh, death warnings on the back of the packet and yet people still seem to want to smoke it's craziness interesting Finally, the last reason is that it highlights known issues and tries to exploit them by showing people that EVs are not perfect. A prime example of this comes in the shape of articles that regularly appear, highlighting the use of child labour to mine cobalt for use in the batteries. Yeah, again, this is this is another misleading piece of information. Really, children are not being raised purely to mine cobalt. Let's be this be clear: they're not they're not they're not there to purely mine cobalt for batteries. What's actually happening is the poverty-stricken country, such as Democratic Republic of Congo, is a you know is one that always comes up when it comes to car batteries. Are being forced to put their children to work in order to be able to earn money to live. You know, it's a it's a very simple principle. If they don't, they die. These children happen to be mining cobalt. The issue isn't cobalt mining. The issue is poverty. Um, and let's be clear that if cobalt wasn't there, they'll be mining something else. If we stopped mining cobalt tomorrow, these children would either starve to death or to be put to work in some other equally horrific occupation. The solution isn't to not use cobalt, but although battery manufacturers are moving that way, the solution is to remove the causes of poverty in the Congo and other countries such as that. Don't get me wrong, EVs are not perfect, but neither are fossil fuel cars. But if you're looking at the best of one and the worst of the other, you're not getting a fair comparison. That's what I refer to as the Instagram effect, (laughs) because when you use Instagram, what you're seeing is the best (laughs) of other people's lives, and you're comparing that with your current situation or the worst of your life. So you're just not comparing like with like. Although, to be fair, if you use that analogy, if you compare me now to the latest uh, rendition of Thor in Avengers, I'm pretty close to that now. I've got a beard and overweight. So, you know, actually, you know, I can probably compare myself quite nicely on Instagram. (laughs) Excellent. So what are the consequences of this sort of misinformation and media hysteria? Well, the main issue is that incorrect, inaccurate and misleading information gets out there. This hinders the conversation going forward. And prime examples of this are the old bugbear of batteries last three to five years, maximum cost of fortune to replace. So as long as people believe this to be true, they're not going to want to buy an EV, and rightly so. Yeah, and uh, you know the second issue this causes is reinforcing stereotypes. So i.e. those guys who believe EVs aren't the future and I'm sticking to my 24 miles per gallon diesel Range Rover. Damn the rest of you. You know, as long as as long as they take that attitude, they're going to hold up the general uptake of EVs by people who aren't in the position to be able to purchase one. But more importantly than this, it perpetuates the destruction of the environment. If there's one person who's put off buying, leasing or borrowing an EV because of some inaccurate or biased information, that is slowing down the adoption of EVs and contributing ultimately to man-made global climate change. I know it seems insignificant. It's like asking, if I stop using plastic straws for the three times a year I usually use them, it's not going to make much difference. But the fact is, 
If everyone stopped using them, it would make a lot of difference. So Simon, how can we stop this happening? It's difficult, uh, if, if I'm honest. Um, you know, you know as well as I do, uh, the uphill struggle that, that we have on a daily basis to convince people. But it's a bit like trying to hold the tide back by sheer force of will. There, you know, there, there are two approaches that, that definitely need to be taken here. The first one, a chap that you and me know, Colin, also known as the Plug Seeker. The Plug Seeker is an EV advocate who engages very fairly and respectfully with people on Twitter to try and educate them and influence. We've both met Colin. Um, he's a very down-to-earth person. He's been driving a Nissan Leaf since 2015. So he's, you know, he's been there and done it for the last sort of four years. He's not a snob about EVs. He's got the lower range version of an EV. So he's not even, you know, one of these people that have got like the biggest range possible and, you know, all the lovely infrastructure that goes with it. He's he's a real world user, I would say, of, a, of an EV. But he's been engaged in multiple things with um, two particular companies on Twitter, one being Toyota. Uh, one being one being Lexus, as I'm as I'm sure you're aware, both these companies have started using the term, and I'm going to try not to throw up when I say it, self-charging hybrid nonsense. <laughs> just just the, it makes my skin crawl and makes me very angry. You know, every time we hear this, but they're they're putting it across billboards. It's on TV adverts. The funniest one was, and uh, I know it shouldn't be funny, but. It came up as an advert on YouTube before Fully Charged Show, um, which um, must have been great for them <laughs> having that before. But, um, you know, it's it feeds into that constant engagement with commentators who perpetuate that I'm not buying a, you know, an EV until they can do 500 miles and I can, you know, refuel in two minute brigade. And and the way that Collins deal with this was was really good because he, he saw those adverts starting to come up and he, he engaged the PR and the marketing people that, Toyota and, and, and Lexus and saying, okay, can you please explain to me how your car is self-charging? He had the facts behind it, which is basically that, you know, how can it self-charge uh, without plugging itself in? Clearly, you need a petrol tank in a hybrid to to charge a very small uh, charge of, of the battery. Otherwise, you know, the, you're not really self-charging. Uh, you know, to, to that effect, and again, there's something that the plug seeker very, very articulated this back to them is that, you know, I could say that uh, our EVs ha- are self-charging and the fact that when you go down a hill, your car regenerates and you get a bit of juice back. But that car does not self-charge your whole car and neither do these so-called self-charging uh, um, hybrids. The, you know, the, the whole inside and out worldwide marketing of both of these companies is, um, well, it's, there's two things. It's genius on their part because they get to sell more hybrids because unfortunately the information and the way it's perceived to the general public is helping them sell them. The other side is that those particular companies, shock horror, aren't very forward thinking with EVs. And obviously they're not helping the cause by pushing them forward. Neither one of these companies are in the mainstream with an EV right now or seem to be planning much. Colin and, you know, obviously being called the plug seeker, he's, he's, he's a EV advocate through and through. You know, he's, he's at meetups, he's a you know, uh, he's on Twitter, he's on Facebook, he's on YouTube. He he does all these great sort of uh, things within the EV community uh, only to the fact that he wants to push it forward and get us in EVs because it's the right thing to do. Not because he's a, an EV snob, because, you know, I drive an EV, so everyone has to drive an EV. 
is very much like you and you and I in that we drive in EVs. We we do it for, uh, for it's the right reason and you know it saves us money and all the benefits that that come with it. So does Colin. So when somebody something like this comes along, it annoys him because they they're plowing out lies to cut to uh, to the general public. He's got a great approach to it. Um, he's he's kept his um calm under a lot of this and he's not getting great deals back to the point where both of these companies actually start to try and block him as well which that in itself shows a lot. And the one thing that Colin does, which I've noticed, is that he'll engage with people who say things like, you know, I can't afford one or there are no charges near me. And he'll ask things like, you know, what are you spending on fuel at the moment per month? And, you know, where are you located? He'll get onto ZapMap and PlugShare and he'll have a look around and he'll see where the charges are. And, you know, if there are no local charges, if they've got off-street parking or they don't have off-street parking, He'll say, you know, you're quite right. You're not the prime candidate for an EV at this moment in time. And he's got no reason to do that other than that he's generally an advocate for these things. And But he's not. he doesn't do it in a pushy way. The second approach is to get more people you know out in EVs. Anecdotally, more people buy EVs after they've had a chance to go out and use one than if they don't. And that's why places such as the uh, EVEC in Milton Keynes, which we big up whenever we can, are so incredibly useful. You're absolutely right. I mean, I know we we big up EVEC in Milton Keynes uh, quite a bit, but because it's such a fundamental aspect of you know EV adoption, uh, you know, getting more people into uh, into EVs is it's just I think personally one of the single most important things of adoption of these. You know, you, you can you can you can. Give them a flashy video, you can tell them specs, you can tell them how much range it does and all this sort of stuff. But until you get them into these cars and say, right, do what you do on a weekly basis for travel in your in this EV using, you know, the infrastructure or home charging or whatever it whatever they're able to do, and then tell me if it fits. And I guarantee you, and certainly the feedback that we've had from certain the centre in Milton Keynes is that 99% of those people that go out there and, and rent or you know use an EV from them come back and say either I'm going to buy one or I've ordered one. You know, I've in the last 3 weeks I think I've seen multiple people come back and say I've I've had an i3 for a week, I've come back and I've ordered one and it comes in 3 weeks. That just shows the sheer power of getting somebody in the car. Now, I I know this whole thing about, you know, with Tesla obviously, you know, you go online, you click click a few buttons and you've ordered a £40,000 car. That does work for some people. I'm not one of those people. I do like, you know, if I'm going to buy something of that value, it's the same for me as like, you know, walking into a house. If you want to buy a house, I don't generally would, I wouldn't generally click on a, a few buttons online and do it. I'd want to go in the house and view it and see see what it's about. Same for me goes with a car. You know, I like sitting in it. Is it comfortable? Is it going to work for me? Does it do the, the the consumption I need, the range, everything else. But with EVs, it's it's so much more in the, that range anxiety and, you know, I've got, I don't know, 150 miles. Oh, my God, that's not going to be enough. But actually, when they do their practical week and then think about those odd occasions, they go on longer distant journeys, it's really not a problem. And they actually start to go, oh, do you know what? All that stuff that I've been pushed by either dealerships, all this information by, you know, crummy newspapers is completely full. So to summarise... I think it's fair to say that mainstream media and social media are not totally there yet with EVs. It's up to people like you and me to counteract this by engaging with detractors wherever necessary. 
and understanding that a lot of what's been said is being driven by fear rather than anything fundamental. Don't get me wrong, there are plenty of outlets out there that are very pro-EV. Sites such as Clean Technica, Electrek and Red, Green and Blue and others try to very much push the EV message, but they're woefully underrepresented when compared with readerships of outlets such as the Daily Mail, the BBC and the Guardian. And uh, I think the big um, the big takeaway on this is we just need to keep educating people. Absolutely. And that's the whole reason for these podcasts, uh, to get the message out there. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing that you've come across that we can share with our listeners. So my one uh, this week was kind of China does it again. You know, this is this is a story about Tesla's Gigafactory 3 that they are building in uh, near Shanghai in China. Now, normally a, a building of a factory wouldn't be, you know, very exciting. But A, it's Tesla and they'll be building Model 3s and other Tesla cars in there. Construction was actually started on the building in December 2018. So that's uh, six months ago. The building is now ready to accept machinery, which is expected to be in place within two months, which means that come end of July, beginning of August, they can start producing Model 3 cars. Now, this factory alone is is expected to produce 250,000 cars a year. You know, as well as I do, all the problems that Tesla have had getting things up to speed. Put that together with Chinese money and engineering and sheer will and resources. That's a match made in heaven. I mean, I, I just... You can go online and uh, we'll put a link in, in the uh, podcast below. But the sheer speed that this thing is, has gone up. And it's not, you know... If you've done that in this country, it'd take us a few years and, you know, it'd be mistakes. And it just it just wouldn't happen. But, you know... They they signed on the dotted line sort of August last year. They started digging up ground in December, and now they've got a factory ready to go. You know, in two months they they could be producing the first Model Threes out of there, which is just mind blowing. Especially when you consider that my neighbour actually spent much longer than that having a simple extension put on her house. <laughs> Did he get any Chinese um, Tesla Gigafactory people on it? <laughs> No, just a couple of local guys who wanted to earn a bit of money by the looks of things. But they did a good job at the end, so that's all that counts. <laughs> My cool thing is news announced recently that the number of charging locations in the UK has overtaken the number of petrol stations. Data from ZapMap show that as of 22nd of May, there are 8,471 charging locations across the UK hosting a total of 13,613 charging devices. In contrast, as of the end of April, there are currently only 8,400 petrol stations in the UK, a figure which is continuing to decline. The network supports an increasing number of electric vehicles on the road, expanding from only 3,500 cars six years ago to the best part of a quarter of a million currently. Of course, the figures are not just as black and white as that. 8,400 petrol stations will average around eight pumps each. Some have as many as 24 pumps, some have only about four pumps. So the actual number of physical chargers is still lower than the number of physical pumps, but it's a great milestone to get over and it means we're definitely heading in the right direction. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at... I'm at the EV side on Twitter and YouTube for all things crazy and electric. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. 
Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.